0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Veg Grower Podcast. My name is Richard and I am on a mission to grow my fruit, vegetables and herbs in my allotment and my garden. Now we're starting off this week on the allotment and coming up in a little bit later on I'm going to be talking about the negative side of allotment tiering. But first let's find out what's been happening this week here on the allotment. Now with the sunnier warmer weather this week we have been down the allotment a fair bit and the allotment is looking really really good I have to say. A lot of the weeds have been lifted, every single plant grown here is looking in pretty good condition. It's really coming together quite nicely although we are having a few empty spaces. Now as these empty spaces are starting to become apparent it is a case for me to start preparing to move some of our plants that are gonna follow these crops up. So for example, when I've spoken about this particular bed before, where we had cabbages, we've got two cabbages left in there at the moment, but I've mulched the entire bed with some more compost. That bed is gonna be for garlic and the same with a bed next to it. That bed is gonna be for our overwintering onions. These beds are prepared. They are mulched. We've just got a few plants left in there, but as soon as they come out, the following crops will be going in. And when I say as soon as they come out, I'm talking about towards the end of this month when garlic will go in. Now added to that, the courgette plants that we have down here really have put on plenty of growth, especially in the culture bed, funnily enough. This culture bed, I did have my overwintering onions, all of which have been removed. And I've planted out a couple of courgettes while the onions were still in there, followed by a couple of butternut squash plants. Well, the courgette plant has grown really, really big over this last week. Plenty of flowers, plenty of courgettes as well. It's quite interesting seeing this change because I felt the Hooghel culture didn't necessarily work that well for the onions. But seeing how well it's worked for these squash plants, it certainly has made quite a difference. And I know that because I've got squash plants in other places. Now talking of squash the shark's fin melon plant that we have grown here it's also grown quite large not as large as I was expecting it to but quite large and we are getting a couple of melons start to show themselves unfortunately one of them has been eaten by something been nibbled by something so a little bit annoying but you know this is the joys of growing your own food. You have to take some losses. Now something else that I have been doing is cutting down my rather large comfrey patch. I'm a big fan of comfrey. I think it's a brilliant plant. It has so many uses in the allotment or in the garden but it can get quite rampant and it can grow quite big. So when it got a bit out of hand what I do is I take my hedge tremor to the base and cut it all down. And then I take all those trimmings and I put them into our compost bin. One of the many uses for comfrey, of course, is that it is a great compost activator. So by cutting it all down and putting it into our compost bin, it is going to help build a fantastic amount of compost, which is going to be great for in the coming seasons. I'm sort of of the opinion at the moment that we need to make a lot more compost somehow. And this isn't easy. It is not as easy as what I thought it would be. Purely because we need to get plenty of compost material in. Now, obviously I use everything that is compostable from this allotment providing and it's not diseased. But I think we now need to think about bringing in some materials. Now, one of my thoughts was bringing in horse manure But then I've double thought on that and I'm thinking cow manure might be a better option. So if I can get hold of some cow manure I can add to these compost bins, that would be a great thing in the future. More now as and when it happens. Now we have had some brilliant harvests again this week as well. I've taken home another tray of onions so they are nicely dried and we're going to be using those at home. But I've also harvested a few pears which you'll hear more about little bit later on but the real star of the harvest this week have been the belotti beans now I've always struggled in the past to try and get belotti beans to grow and create a decent crop but this year we have had a really good crop. I've grown these from seed, and what I've noticed is they've grown really, really well. They've produced these really attractive bean pods with these red and white stripes. that just look absolutely stunning, it has to be said. And what I've been doing is I've been checking over them quite regularly and waiting for the beans to dry out, i.e. the shell, the pod itself, is dry. That when you give it a shake you can hear the beans rattle on the inside and I've had quite a few that are at that stage this week so I've been going around picking those that are ready there's still a few more that aren't quite ready we'll leave those until they are ready and we did have one pod that was a bit overripe now what happens when it goes overripe is the bean shell itself splits and starts to drop And that's what we want to avoid. So I've been waiting until the the bean shells have just turned colour nice and crisp, but trying to catch them before the shells split, which I've managed to do with all but one. However, the one that has split didn't drop any shells, so I caught it just, just in time. And we've had a good amount of these belotti beans, which look absolutely stunning. I've taken them home. I'm going to dry them out a little bit longer in the kitchen worktop in the windowsill. And then we will shell all the beans and pop them into jars in our larder. And I'm going to save a few to grow next year as well. So very, very happy with that, to say the least. Now I did mention pears and that's something I'm going to be talking about in just a moment but first let's find out what's been going on in the Supporters Club this week Over this last week in the Supporters Club we have been sowing some parsley and some spinach both of which are fantastic cool weather crops so should hopefully provide us with plenty of parsley plenty of spinach into the winter months I'm really excited to give these a try. Now, the Sporters Club is a club that I've set up. It helps me keep the website and the wheels rolling on this podcast. And if you would like to become a member, I would genuinely appreciate it. To become a member, head to the theveggrowpodcast.co.uk to sign up. And I charge £5 a month to be a member. For that you get extra behind the scenes podcasts as well as a collection of seeds sent to your door each and every month. Now you might be thinking to yourself, I would love to support your podcast, but I can't afford it. I completely understand that. Well, if you would be good enough to leave us a review on your podcast provider, that goes a long way to helping us get found. And one of those reviews we've had on Spotify recently was actually in the way of a question. And it says, from Roasted Cheese, good as usual. For squashes, how big do you recommend you let them grow? How many squashes per plant? It is in a big plot. So I don't generally worry about how big they get. They're going to get as big as they really want to. As long as they are fully ripe when it comes to harvesting. That's all I really worry about. If you harvest them too early, they're not fully ripe, so they're going to be small. If you harvest them too late, they're going to be rotten. So basically, it is all down to the ripening, not so much stopping the the fruits themselves, the squashes themselves, from getting big. But the other question that Roasted Cheese asked is how many squashes per plant? The general advice is to allow two maybe three squashes per plant to get the best squashes the fact that it is in a big pot isn't anything to really worry about but two three squashes remove any after that so it focuses all the energy into those squashes is my advice to you there right let's find out about the negative sides of allotment tiering Now I mentioned that I harvested some pears earlier and what I realised when I was harvesting the pears is that we've had some losses. This is always annoying and it is the downside of allotment tiering. I think many people dress allotments up to be a fantastic, very welcoming gardening situation. And on the whole, it mostly is. But like anything, there are always some negatives and I wanted to talk today about some of these negatives now the worst now for me one of the worst problems has always been thefts every year during the winter our allotment site gets broken into and my sheds particularly seem to get broken into looking for tools that they can steal As far as I can tell, I've never actually lost any tools on this particular allotment site. On my old one, I did lose some. But on a whole, I don't think we've lost any on this allotment site. However, I know many other people on this site have lost their tools. And they've been so upset that they've had to give up their allotment. But it's not just tools that get stolen. What I've noticed when I was harvesting my peas, when I checked on these a couple of days before harvesting, I was quite impressed with how many we've got. But when I came down to harvest some, I noticed we were quite a few down. And there was a few on the floor, which is normal, but it was not enough. And my belief, and I confirmed this with my apple tree, so my apple tree had absolutely no apples on it at all. So somebody has came along, stolen some pears and stolen some apples. Really, really, really annoying. And I get it when people are hungry, don't get me wrong. There was a news story many, many years ago, I remember reading, where a gentleman got caught stealing food from an allotment. And his excuse when in court was that he, it was during a recession if I remember correctly, he couldn't afford to feed his family. Which I understand. But that doesn't give the reason to go stealing. And in fact, all the allotment people and in fact, all the allotment tiers on that site said had if he had asked, they would have happily given him some food. But he was too proud to ask. So I do kind of understand why people feel the need to steal some food, especially when there's such an abundance of food on the allotment and you have a family to feed. I, I'm not heartless like that. But for me, I think the th- main thing that people should do if they are in that position is just ask. Just ask. And I'm sure they can give you a few carrots, a few leeks. You know, on a whole, allotmenteers are very generous giving people. But when you steal, that is where the problem began begun. Now, as I said, it's not just me that has had things stolen on this allotment site. One of my neighbours had a huge watermelon stolen. I've also known of other people having figs stolen, just to name a few, and I'm sure there are more. I mentioned last week about somebody cutting down parts of my blackberry bush, which, again, I didn't understand why, but I'm starting to think it's tallying up with all of these thefts. Now, thefts are, of course, the biggest problem on allotments and it's very little we can really do about it we could make our allotments as secure as we can lock the gates when leaving lock the sheds although some people might say sheds are better unlocked because of less less damage when they try and get in that's possibly a way to look at it as well but for me what I try and think about is that thefts are part of an allotment life so therefore I only have tools on the allotment that I can afford to lose. My lawnmower, my strimmer comes home with me every time and if I lose a few pears or a few apples I have to live with that. It's not right but it is the reality of the situation. But one of the other negatives that I have found with some allotment sites and I've not had this myself is with other allotment tears and jealousy or people who want their own way. Now, one of the stories I heard from a friend of mine is that she was filling up some watering cans in her allotment site. They only had one water tap on the site and she took a wheelbarrow up, was filling them up and another woman wanted to use a tap and got very upset with how long my friend was taking. Now, I can sort of understand getting upset with how long it takes, but this person then threw her watering can at my friend and there was no need for that absolutely no need for that I understand it taking a long time especially for filling up a lot of watering cans but when there's only one tap you all have to make allowances you all have to work together and just make the most of it I've also heard of people basically sprayed weed killer on certain people's produce because they were jealous especially when it comes to the competition growers Which, again, isn't a very nice thing to do. But I would say these allotmenteers are very much in the minority. On the whole, most of the allotmenteers that I meet are very kind, nice people who will work with you. As long as you don't go upsetting them. Now, I've mentioned about my neighbour and their overgrown plot, and that was causing me problems. Now, that was annoying. And I didn't like complaining about it, I'll be honest with you. But when I couldn't access my fruit, it did impact on me a little. And I just wanted them to come along and clear it all down. Now, I don't know what was going on in their lives. They've been down now and they've cleared it. I haven't actually seen them. But for all I know, they've been having some problems. And the allotment just took a step to the side. So instead, I had to just trim down the side that neighbour's mine so I can access my fruit now again when it comes to neighbours I have heard stories of people using weed killer on their allotment and the spray affects theirs now I'm not a lover of weed killer I feel weed killer does have a place but on a whole I feel it is unnecessary but again when I come back to people on their own allotments plots What they do on their allotment plot is completely up to them. And if they are spraying weed killer and it is affecting your crops, you might want to put up some sort of defence just to stop it from happening. Or have a word and just sort of say that I prefer it you didn't use this. What can we do to make sure you don't use weed killer in the future? Now there is another negative on the allotment site, and that is the fact that you don't actually own the allotment site. You are usually renting it off the council or a business. And the thing is they come up with some rules. Now some of these rules can be very very stupid. One rule that I have on my allotment site is that we are only allowed two water butts per plot which I think is a stupid rule but it is the rules and we have to abide by it. Now, the rules sometimes make sense, like having no bonfires. I kind of understand that. But then you get the rules that are all about making sure you have no weeds, which also makes sense, make sure you're using the land. But I feel it does add sometimes a bit of a stress. I'm always worried that I'm going to get a weed notice. And I've had a few in, the, in my time. I've just dealt with it as and when they've happened. And it's usually around this time of year. to deal with this what I've always tried to do is keep on top of the weeds and this is where I've said regularly coming down to the allotment and tackling a lot of the weeding during the week has made a huge difference and it really does make a huge difference. The allotment as I said earlier is looking so good for it and we're getting plenty of produce less weeds and we can keep that going right throughout the growing season. But quite often the rules set are quite a read. It's quite a big book. We have a booklet on our site for all the rules and going through them sometimes can be a bit of a challenge. Again, this is where having good relationships with your neighbours and double-checking everything with the rules can make all the difference and just make your life a little bit easier. As I said, you've got to remember, we are not owning this land. If it's your own land, you can do what you like. This is the council's land in my particular case. And therefore what they say is what we have to do. And added to that, what we've got to remember is that when we give up the allotment, it will be somebody else's. And again, I've heard of people who the father of the house, shall we say, has had the allotment site, but he would bring all his family down and they would have a great time. When that father passed away, they all lost the allotment site and they weren't happy about it. And I understand that. It creates quite a bond in our lives when you're on an allotment site and it is a truly fascinating and interesting place. Again, work with the rules you may have to put somebody down as a second person on your allotment site to ensure it. you are able to keep it. Now, I don't want to be a negative about allotments at all. I think they are a fantastic place to grow food. And I feel that I actually get more done on the allotment because I'm not being distracted by the things I have at home. I can just come down here and get on and end up growing more food. Plus the fact that I grow plenty of food down here as well as at home but the benefits of the allotments of course is there's a huge range of different varieties different wildlife and so many things they are part of the community and that is the big thing to remember with allotments community all about that now if anybody has any negative or positive stories about their allotment i would love to hear them and start creating a collection of these little stories for the podcast. Email me richard at the to share your stories. Now Scott is back this week with another recipe and it is absolutely delicious. Let's go find out what we've got.
1: Hi it's Scott here with this week's recipe and this week we have another curry but this time we have a Thai yellow curry. In this recipe I use the curry paste to make a winter squash and green bean curry because I had some early squash at the allotment to pick but you could use any veg or make a meat or fish version. This recipe will make enough paste to make a few curries and it's fantastic to have in the freezer for when you're in need of a speedy supper. This recipe will serve two to four people so let's dive into the recipe. Ingredients for the curry paste 2 sticks of lemongrass about 40 grams, 100 grams of fresh turmeric you can get this in supermarkets, but if you'd struggle to find it, you could use dried turmeric, but it's well worth trying to track down the fresh stuff, or even try growing your own. 120 grams of fresh ginger, 60 grams of garlic, 1 yellow pepper, about 170 grams, 150 grams of shallots, 5 red Thai chilies, 20 grams of coriander seeds, 5 grams of fennel seeds, 5 kaffir lime leaves, 15 grams of curry powder, and a splash of oil. The rest of the ingredients are 800 grams of squash, diced large, 200 grams of green beans, 4 whole Thai chillies, 2 kaffir lime leaves, 1 stick of lemongrass, 2 tins of coconut milk, or 800 millilitres, 15 millilitres of fish sauce, 20 millilitres of light soy sauce, a bunch of basil and a bunch of coriander. Now to the method, start by adding the curry paste ingredients with a splash of oil to a food processor and blitz to form a paste then set aside. Now add a splash of oil to a saucepan with 300 grams of the curry paste and cook on a medium heat for 5 minutes. Now add the squash, whole chillies, lemongrass and lime leaves followed by the coconut milk and cook for 20-30 to 30 minutes or until the squash is tender. Now add the green beans, fish sauce and soy sauce, and at this point you want to give it a taste, as you might want to add a bit more fish or soy sauce. Then once the green beans are tender, finish with the fresh herbs and season with salt and pepper. And that's this week's recipe done. I hope you enjoy it.
0: Well, I want to thank Scott once again for that absolutely delicious recipe. Again, I am very pleased to say that I have had the chance to make this. Uh, We managed to harvest a patty pan squash from our garden. This is a variety called Sunburst. And it's the first time I've managed to actually get a patty pan squash to, to harvest. So very happy with that. And it's basically a type of courgette, if you like, I guess you could say. But we had a decent patty pan squash we've got more in the pipeline that we will eat at a later date so very very happy with that and we used it in this week's recipe. Now talking about our harvests we've also harvested quite a few cucumbers and courgettes this week we've had so many cucumbers that we had to come up with a recipe to preserve them and what we decided to do was actually make a cucumber and pear chutney now this is going to take a few months for the flavors to really come together so I don't know quite how it's going to taste just yet. but I will let you know in the future just how well it works out but as a way of using up cucumbers I think it's got a lot of potential we've still got plenty of cucumbers in the fridge for sandwiches and things so you know cucumbers this year we've done really really well with as well as our pickling cucumbers you know we've done really really well of them now last week i spoke of clearing out the blight infested tomatoes which i have done and the bed that these tomatoes were growing in was the bed that had no sides well that bed is now more or less empty except for a nasturtium now i did think that perhaps i could plant something out in it perhaps swiss chard or something but one of the things that I decided that I want to do over the winter and I'm going to start this pretty soon instead is actually put some sides on the bed now this bed as I said it had no wooden sides and I thought that would work out quite nicely as a way of trying to avoid slugs and snails it did seem to work but I can't say there was any difference between that bed and beds that had wooden sides but the harder thing that I found was actually when it came to strimming and mowing because it had no sides I found it very difficult to keep the weeds and the grass around the sides down so for me I'm going to be erecting some wooden sides on this bed now whether I stick to the same size I don't know that's something I am currently looking at I think I've spoken about this before I might go for one meter by one meter beds instead I'm still I'm in an arming at the moment but the idea being I just want to go back to wooden sides and it's the same with the straw bale garden. the straw bale garden really hasn't worked this year hasn't been very productive so I think we're going to just turn those straw bales into compost and put them to use in that sense Now, something that I have managed to complete this week and harvest as well was the Charlotte potatoes that were growing in different types of compost. We started this experiment off back in March with six different types of compost and each bucket had three charlotte potatoes planted into it all three buckets had exactly the same amount of water exactly the same amount of feeding and were all in the same location to try and make the most of the light so trying to be as scientifically as possible to try and keep this a fair test so what were the results So I'm going to start from the worst. The worst for me was the straw potatoes. We managed to get five potatoes out of an entire bucket. This bucket just had straw and potatoes planted into it. As simple as that, but it didn't work that well at all. I think the straw might need to rot down before it it is really useful or we use it as a mulch in the future. just five potatoes, okay the straw might have cost me 50p, say the potatoes 50p, so the entire bucket cost me £1, produced five small potatoes, that for a pound not worth it. Would have done better going to a shop to buy them. The next poor performing compost I feel was the Dale Foot compost. So Dale Foot is a woollen compost. It cost me £10 for the bag. That filled the entire bucket up. And although we got 900 grams of potatoes, they were very, very small. And only about 400 grams of potatoes were actually usable. So we move on from the, that onto the next one, which was the New Horizon compost, which is a green waste-based compost. Second most expensive cost, compost. Cost me 7 pounds for the bag it produced slightly more potatoes about a kilogram of potatoes and about 500 grams of those was actually usable potatoes the rest again being too small so slightly better and slightly cheaper now the next that i felt did the best was the coir compost now this bucket was coir from wheel goes which cost me four pound which isn't too bad you have to hydrate it in order to bulk it up again three potatoes got into that that bucket and it produced only eight potatoes. But these potatoes were the best looking and best sized potatoes out of the lot. So the reason I've placed these up so high. Because it probably should be a lot lower if we were growing these in terms of food. But if I was growing these for show. They were definitely a lot better in that regard. The potatoes looked a decent size. They were all uniform. They were large. So In that sense, I think they rated quite highly. In second place was Super Grow, which is a compost I got from the range. The bag of compost cost me £2.50. We got just over a kilo of potatoes and about 800 grams of those potatoes were usable. So not too bad, pretty happy with that. But in first place was my homemade compost. Now we only got 900 grams of potatoes from this, but 800 grams of those potatoes was usable. And best of all, the compost cost me nothing. So I think in the future, if you are looking to grow compost in pots, using your own homemade compost is the way to go. But trying to make you enough of your own homemade compost is always a challenge. This is something I've spoken about on the allotment, and it's the same here at home. So if you're growing for food, I would say go for the super grow compost, but if you're a grown for the show bench, then look at the Queer Compost. That's my results. And I'll be interested to know if anybody else has had similar results or done anything similar. Now that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Please do leave us a review on your podcast provider if you have enjoyed this podcast. And if you want to support this podcast, then please consider becoming a supporting member. Details on that are the veggrowpodcast.co.uk. Now, while you are at the VegGrowPodcast.co.uk, please do leave us a voicemail if you have a question or a comment. Just simply hit the button, it will access your microphone, just speak into it and leave your message. Or alternatively, you can email me Richard at the And finally, don't forget you can find me on social media and give us a follow and a like or whatever it may be. We will be back again next time. So until then, please take care.